Welcome to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast, the only podcast that teaches men the cognitive mastery and alpha mindset that it takes to become an influential and irresistible man of confidence. Here's your host, certified life coach and international man of mystery, Kevin Ayo. What's up, my brothers? Welcome back to the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. I am your host, Kevin Ayo, and we are continuing the Of Life series. And I know we did an Of Life, we did the Candle of Life. I guess it was about a month ago, maybe a little more than a month ago, but we're going to do the reproduction of life today. The reproduction of life. And I've got a little bit of a twist ending, so make sure you stay to the ending of the podcast because I think you're going to love it. Now, here's where I want to begin, actually, brothers. I want to begin by defining this word reproduction because I want to make sure you guys understand what I mean by this. When I say reproduction, I'm not talking about the biological reproduction of the species. (laughs) You know, I'm not talking about reproducing another being or life. I'm talking about making a good reproduction of something, making a good image of something, making a good copy of something in terms of like a painting or a photograph or recording or a videotape or a movie or, you know, these kinds of things. Because when we talk about reproduction and when I get into this podcast, I want you guys to understand where I'm going with this. And let's actually start before reproductions became mm, sort of necessary or were entered into, I should say, into the artistic world as sort of like this idea that we could make a copy of a human being because before, and this really began in the 15th century, it really didn't begin too long ago, just a few hundred years ago. Because, you know, even though art, like cave paintings, uh, you know, the earliest cave paintings can be, I think, 40,000 years ago is the oldest dated cave painting or whatever. I mean, again, just after last week, talking about time, who even knows, 40,000 years, whatever that means. Some of the art that we had earlier on, you know, was, and when I say earlier on, I mean in the first, second centuries and before to predate the Christian era, you know, even going back to BC times. Art was typically iconic. It was done in an iconography. There wasn't even the term artist. The term artist was reserved for musicians or builders of architecture, builders of buildings, people that would work with large um, slabs of earth, whether it be marble or stone or whatever. People that would create visual representations of things, what we call paintings today, they were not called artists. They were called iconographers because they were creating icons of things. They weren't creating images. They weren't creating copies. They weren't making reproductions. They were making icons. And so, number one, they were heavily religious. Um, They were usually paintings were done for religious or spiritual reasons. And they were done in an iconography that was less a reproduction of the image or deity or being they were trying to create and more of an allegory or a metaphor for what that image or being or deity or you know, Godhead, whatever it is, they were trying to convey. So the images or the icons were usually not reproductions. They weren't copies. They weren't made in a way to say, this is what this person looked like. It wasn't about creating an image of what they looked like. The icons were meant to create a experience. 
They were meant to create a feeling. They were meant to trigger within you a sense of divinity or spirituality. And so again, they were uh, typically more done for religious or spiritual reasons, and they were not reproductions by any means. They weren't meant to, at least at the time, no iconographer would say, this is what this person looked like. You know, the old icons the images that we had of Jesus and Mary and, you know, all the saints, for example, no iconographer at the time would have said, this is what Jesus looked like, or this is what his mother looked like. It wasn't until centuries later that humans started to think that the icon was some sort of actual reproduction or copy to say, this must be what these men and women look like, you know, all the saints. And you can even see, and you can go back and you can look at them and you can say that these, that they all look the same. <laughs> all their faces look the same because it wasn't about creating an image or reproduction, it was simply about inspiring a feeling, inspiring an experience within you. And usually there were no backgrounds as well. The backgrounds didn't come into art until hundreds of years later because it wasn't until then that the background started to matter. All that really mattered was the foreground. All that mattered was the icon itself, was the experience itself. And then later art began to add in the background, in contrast to the foreground, where we began to see more clearly the separation. You know, we actually began to separate more by adding that background and foreground to art where it wasn't before in the icons. It was simply a gold background, usually some kind of gold leaf or paint. And then in the 15th century, <laughs> in Europe, in the West, the king specifically, you know, they wanted more power, essentially. They wanted more control, more power. They wanted more alliances. And in order to form alliances, they did so through marriage. They did so by marrying the princesses of far-off states, of other lands. And they would have painters, they would have artists go and create portraits, create reproductions, copies of the princess, of the female, who was um, going to be presented to the king of Europe, to the majesty, to be approved of before you know, he kind of got her <laughs> as a wedding gift. You know, it's kind of like, you know, so instead of having all of these women come to England, for example, to be presented to the King of England, they would contract painters to make reproductions, to make copies of these women in paint on canvas. And that way the King would have an idea on what he was getting into visually with possibly marrying the princess and creating an alliance with her father. In fact, there's a famous story, Henry VII of England, where he felt, I guess you should say, he felt badly cheated. Um, I don't want to say he was badly cheated, but he felt badly cheated because the painter who painted basically too flattering a portrait of Anne of Cleve. Uh, the artist was so good that he made her look so amazing that Henry VII chose her to marry. But when she arrived in England, he was not as happy as he was with her painting. <laughs> so anyway, the technique began with the marvelous work of Renaissance painters and Flemish painters and, and going on to what we call the Renaissance, you know, this burgeoning of art where you went from portraits to paintings to busts to sculptures to, you know, full-on replications. And the artists got so good that the images, the reproductions, the copies that they would make on canvas began to really look a lot like the humans that they were meant to represent. And we can see some of these. A lot of these paintings, a lot of these portraits have existed, have lasted today. That you can see it. We could see paintings and portraits of, of some of these old kings, queens. Even in the 18th century, 
you know, here in the Americas where we have some of the higher, some of the more wealthy class, the founding fathers and so on, we can see them, we can see uh, the paintings that were done of their lifeness and likeness. And then later on, we humans, our species evolved. We evolved into greater ways of reproducing the image, of copying the image of the human. And we got into what's called photography, photographic realism. And they said, you know, we got to figure out a better way to do this. Instead of just using paint and canvas, instead of just putting colors on a white background, you know, isn't there some more scientific way of doing this? Isn't there some better way of reproducing the human image? And so they discovered the camera. And first of all, you know, when those very beginning cameras were they were just kind of brownish, you know, they had the big, remember the Wild West, right? The Old West. It's funny because How the West Was Won, one of Seth MacFarlane's movies, Invented Family Guy, How the West Was Won, you know, they actually have one of those in that movie. And it's very, very funny because they talk about smiling in it and they talk about, you know, the pictures. You know, the pictures back then, they were just brownish. You know, there was no color. They were almost like a black and white or like a brownish. The replication was no longer with paint on canvas, but it was an actual image. It was like taking out a snapshot, a photo, you know, it was a, an image of the moment, but it was, there was no color. It was drab and brown and people would say, well, it, that looks amazing. It looks great. Look at how great, you know, grandpa looks like. It's like, looks just like him. You know, so much better than the painting, so much better than the bust, so much better than the sculpture. So it really looks like him, doesn't it? And they go on and say, yeah, yeah, it does, it does. But, you know, there's some things missing, right? You know, one of the first things we notice it's missing is the color. It isn't colored. So they went and they started tinting the photographs, you know. They started tinting the photographs after they were taken. It was adding color into them after. And they said, well, it's, it, you know, it's real lifelike. But then they went on and they say, you know, there are some people whose whole style of life, whose whole personality is in the way they move. And if we just take that photograph, you know, we just take that instant, that moment, that we don't have the actual, we're not capturing the essence of the person. You know, we're not really getting it. We're not really getting what it's like to be around or with or have an experience of this person. You know, where the painting was one level, you know, we get sort of the artist's representation, what they see, because they're using color to put together an image that's in their mind. And then we move to the photograph where the artist has very little to do with it. You know, they might work with lighting a little bit to get the right shadows or the right distance, but really the image that's captured, it, well, it's a photograph, you know, it's like freezing time. But then it's, it's close, it's a good reproduction. You know, we're, we're getting better. You know, it's, not, it's no longer this color on canvas. It's now a frozen moment, but we need to add something. The personality isn't there. You know, it's the way they move. It's the way they behave. So they said, we've, we've got to make these people move. How can we make these photographs move? How can we make these photographs come to life? And so they invented the movies. They invented the film recorder. And of course, you guys remember, maybe, I mean, not remember when the first movies came out, but you remember those movies when they came out and everybody was getting, you know, excited that they were, you know, jerky and, you know, they were silent films. You know, if, if you remember on um, those like Charlie Chaplin films, the silent films that are really, really jerky, right? Because really what they are is a bunch of photographs, <laughs> a bunch of photographs run in a loop, right? It's a film and they're just uh, cells. They're just little bits of uh, a photograph strung together. So it looks really jerky. It's like taking a bunch of pictures that are drawn and flip, flipping them, you know, having a flip story where you take the book and kind of flip it and you see the movement because every picture is a slightly different, uh, slightly different image. And that's what the original movies were. But then they said, well, 
you know, that's great. You know, we have this. Let's clean this up. You know, let's make this better. So they said that there's something, there's something else we can do. Here's another thing about reproducing people. So we've reproduced the person in, in, in color on canvas. Then we've reproduced them in, in form, in the now, in a photograph. Now we've reproduced them in movement. So now we can see them moving and choppy. But, but they talk. People talk. And a whole lot of their personality is in their voice. And so we can't have them talking at the same time of moving. So they added sound to the pictures. They added sound. They added color. They added smoothness to the film. And then we say, now, wow, we're really getting it. Now we're getting it. Now we're getting somewhere, you see. This is starting to look like real life. This is starting to look like a reproduction of life. It's starting to look like the real thing. But here's the problem, of course. When we go to the movies, what is the problem, brother? Well, it's on a two-dimensional screen, of course. <laughs> you see, we go to the movies and it looks real to us. It's smooth and it's colored and we have sound. And it all looks real. We have surround sound, you know, we got the big boom boxes and the great big giant screen that kind of pops out at you, but it's still on two dimensions, still on a screen. So somewhere along the line, to make it even more real, this concept of 3D was added to the movies, you know, 3D movies. And you put on these glasses, these red and blue glasses, you know, made of sort of some kind of tint over your eyes and to see the movie in that way, to see the way it could be in three dimension. But... They said, well, look, like, okay, so I've got this movie. I can watch it in 3D, but look, I have to go down to the cinema to watch it. You know, I have to go down to the movie theater. This is not reproducing life here. It's not fully reproducing life. It's not the reproduction of life because it's not copying life adequately enough. It's two-dimensional, even three-dimensional, but I've got to go to the theater to see it. To, you know, we all have to come together to the center of town. We can't have it all at home. And so the television was invented. <laughs> And now instead of going to see the movies, going to see the pictures, television came on. And in television, you know, just like with film, it started out with black and white and then it grew and became colored. And that's where we are now. We have television and we have three-dimensional uh, movies. But three-dimensional movies are a funny thing, aren't they? Because they're not really three dimensions. It's not quite a reproduction because you have to wear the spectacles. You know, you got to wear a little blue and red filters you got to go down the movies and you know you know you're kind of sitting there knowing that the image is being made because of the glasses so eventually somebody's going to come out with the thing that we're going to see i think pretty soon which is the hologram the holographic television set a television image produced by laser beams that you set up in your living room or family room or viewing room whatever you call your room where you have your television and you set up these laser beams in the same way you would set up a surround system of speakers and you have this a three-dimensional figure right out there in the middle of the room for you. A reproduction of life, a copy, an image in three dimensions. Not because you're wearing glasses and it's coming out of a two-dimensional screen, but because it's there. It's there in your viewing room. This three-dimensional figure right there in front of you. We say, wow, that's amazing. Look at this reproduction of life. Look at what we've come to. We have this reproduction here, this copy. This image. And it's amazing. Look at how far we've come. We've come from this image of paint where we've just putting color on canvas to now we have a third dimensional image in my, my house, in my room. I don't have to go down to the cinema. It's still not enough, is it? It's not a true reproduction. It couldn't be a true reproduction. Why not? Why is it not a true reproduction? Why is it not a copy? Why is it not a reproduction of life? Because you can walk up to this hologram 
and you can put your hand right through it. Your hand goes right through it. You, you can't touch it. <laughs> and you see that that's the trouble. Even with our, even with our television now, even with it non-holographed, is that you can't touch it. That you're seeing whatever it is behind the screen. You know, it's intangible. You can't touch it. You can't smell it. You can't taste it. Or you can hear it. You can see it. But it's there. It's lost to you. And it won't relate to you. And so these are further problems in the reproduction of life, in the copy. And they need to be solved in the, in the techniques of electronic reproduction, in the technology that we have yet to build, that we have yet to see. And I'm, but I'm sure that they will. I'm sure that they will, especially with artificial intelligence coming out. I'm sure that there will be a, an electronic technology where they'll do it. And they'll, first of all, they'll do it and manage it in a way where the electronic emission sources can solidify and make the air of the hologram vibrate so much so that you can go up to it and you can touch the figure and you won't be able to put your hand through it. It won't be a, a ghost or an apparition because the lasers that are creating the image have underneath them a platform maybe that of air that's blowing air, that's vibrating air so fast because what is hardness? And let me back up, brothers, because let me explain this. I'm not ex sure if, you, if, if I've explained this in a podcast before. The phenomena that we know as hardness is nothing more than really, really fast vibration in really, really small spaces. It's almost like a ceiling fan where you have a ceiling fan. When it's stopped, you can see that it has four or five blades on it, four or five um, blades of a fan. And when you turn the fan on, it starts to spin and it starts to move. And once it starts to move, I mean, when it's stopped, you can, I can put my hand through, right, between the blades. I can put my hand through. But once it starts to spin, I dare not do that, <laughs> you know, because I'm going to get hit. I'm going to get my finger hit. I'm going to get my hand chopped, right? Especially the faster that it moves. The faster that it moves, I'm really going to start moving so fast that if I try to put my finger in there, it breaks my bone or even chops my finger off. But you can get that fan to move. You can get that fan to move at such a high amount of energy. That in that space, because that's a lot of space. I'm, when I talk about high amounts of energy at small spaces, I'm talking about amounts of energy that could power the entire Earth for the entire lifetime of the human species in a space the size of, of smaller than an atom. That's what hardness is. That's why we can't put our finger through it. That's why it's so it's vibrating so quickly. So if we were to do that same thing with a, with a ceiling fan, if I were to get that ceiling fan to move so fast to create the amount of energy that it's moving so fast in that amount of space, it would eventually be a solid um, circle. It would just be a solid block of wood or whatever your ceiling fan blades are made out of. And then I wouldn't be able to put my hand through it. Not only would it not be chopped off or broken, it would just be like a solid object. I would tap it the same way I would tap a wall or a floor or a desk because it's moving so fast. That's what hardness is. The phenomena of hardness is the illusion created by empty space vibrating massive amounts of energies in small spaces. That's what hardness is. And so if we did the same thing with this holographic image, if we were able to create, and I'm sure they will eventually, but if we were able to create technologically some sort of fan that vibrates the air of this image so fast in that space, that it creates a hardness, a firmness in the image itself, that you could go up and touch the figure. You could give it a hug. Because the air is moving faster than your hand, you see. The energy of the air is vibrating faster than the hand. Imagine you can actually, like, you're watching television. You're watching a hologram of a dancer, of a beautiful dancer. And at the end of her performance, you can walk up to her and you can embrace her. You can give her a hug. You could feel this image. But she won't know that you're there. And she won't respond to you. And you'll say, well, that's not very lifelike. That's not a reproduction of life. Because as 
you know, as once said, yeah, if the photograph, if the photograph doesn't move, it's not very lifelike. You know, if it doesn't talk, it's not very lifelike. It's not an accurate reproduction. It's not an accurate copy of life. And once we have this technology, once we have this hologram technology, you'll say, that's not lifelike because I can't touch that image. Oh, well, let's create a way for you to touch it. Well, it's still not lifelike because if the reproduction in three dimensions solid doesn't respond to me, that, well, that's not like life. That would be like, that would be like me walking up and hugging a stranger and they're not responding. They just go about their day as if I wasn't even there, as if I'm invisible. And so the next thing is that they have to figure out a technique for doing that. <laughs> you know, what they do, they'll get you to sit in your, in your room, in your home, in your, in your viewing room, where you're watching the scene on a stage, right? See, it's not on a screen anymore because now it's a holographic image. So now it's a, now it's a stage. You know, well, maybe it's a fan that's creating this air in such a way that's vibrating this air faster than your hands so they become solid. But there will be a TV camera observing you while you observe the stage, while you observe the image. And that TV camera observing you and that TV camera will report back everything that you do as you observe it. And it'll report back everything you do into a computer. Mm -hmm. This is where we get into artificial intelligence, brothers, because I'm telling you this is coming, right? It'll report back everything you do into a computer and the computer will will be able to manage each bit of information that's being reported back to it through this camera. So to say every tiny little unit of information going into the image that you're looking at will be fed back to you as you're feeding into the computer so that it will immediately decide and, and report to the image in response. What is the appropriate response to the approach that you are making to the image? You understand what I'm saying there, brother? So that as this image is being holographed and hardened, it is also being educated by a computer that is getting its information by watching you. And won't that be crazy? <laughs> Wouldn't that be crazy? Wouldn't that be crazy for you to have in your living room, in your viewing room, a holographic image that feels, smells, looks, sounds, tastes, just like any other human being, and responds to you the way a human being would respond to you in life. So you have this dancer, that she finished her dances, and you decide, I'm going to go up and hug her. Well, instead of you just hugging her and her not being aware of you anymore, that you're not even there, some ghost, right? Like you're an invisible thing. Well, because this computer, because this television or this television camera is watching you, this camera is watching you, feeding in the computer and then feeding it back into her, she's going to react to you. You give her a hug, she may push you away, she may slap you, or maybe she embraces you back and gives you a big kiss. But you never know what is going to happen. You never know what's going to happen. It's a mystery. It's still a mystery because the computer's running it. You see, the, it's artificial intelligence is running it. But then you say, no, 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 this is not. <clears throat> this is not really the kind of reproduction we want. This is not a reproduction of life. This is not a copy of life because we wanted what we wanted when we looked at the scene. And what we want is to be able to identify with one of the characters. We wanted not just to watch the drama that's being performed on the stage in front of us, but we, we actually want to get into it. You know, we want to be a part of the dance itself. We don't want to watch the dancer and then give her a hug at the end. We want to be involved in the dance. We want to get into it. And so we want to be wired into the, uh, the technology. We want to be wired into, we want our brain to be technologically, to be ele electrically 
connected to that hologram, that image, so that we will actually feel the emotions of the people acting on the stage. And so eventually, when that happens, we will get absolutely perfect reproduction, and we will be able to see that image so vividly that we could be coming into this question that could that be where we already are? Could it be that we here in 2023 are a reproduction, a copy, which over centuries of evolution has worked out to be a replica of something else that's going on? And we are where we always were, sitting in a viewing room, electrically connected to a computer that is watching, listening to our thoughts, feeding them into a holographic image, making that holographic image appear real through creating high amounts of energy and low amounts of space, and then feeding back and what, what's, what's coming from our mind into that image so that there is a, a symbiotic response, a relationship of outer and inner, and that the whole thing is occurring while we're sitting in a viewing room, or as another analogy I've given you, asleep in our beds, while we simply go through our technologically created holographic reality, where you woke up into this hologram because you turned on your little uh, <laughs> little TV and decided to play a role, fulfill a fantasy. And that when you think you die, you just wake up in your, in your viewing room. It's like Total Recall. <laughs> it's like the Total Recall movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger or... Uh, I don't know what the remake, who the remake guy was. I, it's the Australian dude, but I don't remember his name right now. I'm not going to think about it because it's beside the point. That's the reproduction of life, is that we don't know if we are in the reproduction or if we're creating the reproduction. And if we're doing it perpetually over and over and over again, a dream within a dream, a reproduction within a reproduction within a reproduction within a reproduction. That every time we die, we just wake up into another viewing room where the whole thing was holographically displayed for us through technology of our own creation. And we just keep waking up into another, into another, into another, into another, and into another reproduction. Because that seems to be what we're doing here. We seem to just trying to be reproducing, reproducing, copying with the metaverse, with movies, with artificial intelligence. We think this is the first time we've done it. <laughs> you know, we think it's 2023 and this is the first time we've ever discovered artificial intelligence. That this is the first time we've ever discovered whatever, a hologram to television, a movie, a film. But how do we know 
that we're not just doing it over and over and over, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, of course, I'm having fun here. I'm just talking about a fantasy or, or an analogy with you guys. But recognize, brothers, that the reason why I talk is because it's what I do. I'm a philosopher. I talk. I, I think. I, I speak. And if any of this resonates with you, then maybe you're beginning to see the world. And that's what I have for you today. Until next week, my brothers, elevate your alpha. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Alpha Male Coach Podcast. If you enjoy what you've heard and want even more, sign up for Unleash Your Alpha, your guide to shifting to the alpha mindset at thealphamalecoach.com slash unleash.